I'm Robin Crane, and this is the Growing Your Financial Business, The Woman's Way podcast. Listen, I was a financial advisor for over a decade, and I got so sick of the old archaic strategies that your grandpa used to get clients. What the industry teaches today is still so outdated and just doesn't work anymore. So I had to find a better way for myself, and then I got obsessed with sharing these how-tos with other women like me. The stuff I teach doesn't require giving up your life, your sanity, or your family time. I want women like you to have it easier than I had it, so you can thrive in the industry. I've now helped thousands of women grow their financial businesses to multiple six figures, some even seven figures per year. So on this podcast, you're going to get an inside look at how they did it so you can do it too. Let's dive into the show. Welcome, welcome. I am here. I'm about to butcher your name, possibly. I forgot to do that first. Let, <laughs> let, let, let me stop the recording because I'm just like, I better practice that. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, yeah, screw it. Let's just do it. Let's just do it real time. Okay. So yeah. I'm going to try. I'm going to try Barry. Barry Baumgartner. You got it. That's oh my it. God. Nailed it. Okay. So we will just keep that. <laughs> nailed it. Okay, so I'm here with Barry Baumgartner. It just actually looks, it sound. it comes out the way it looks, but it just scared <laughs> me because it's very, very long. Um, so Barry's the founder of Sage Event Man- Management. And um, even more importantly, she's actually part of the Unicorn Club, which I've talked about before because I've had plenty of these unicorns, women in very high, um, high level businesses, seven, eight, nine figure plus. And what's really cool about this company is that Barry started it with absolute nothing and has grown it to a very high um, seven figures on its way to eight figures. And basically what she's doing is um, has the event business, right? Helping people from the back of the room. And she's helped huge, huge um, influencers like Tony Robbins, Russell Brunson, Dean Graciosi, Jack Canfield, Jeff Walker, a lot of people that maybe the financial advisors might not know, like you might not know these people in the industry, but if you look them up, you'll see they're huge, huge influencers. Tony Robbins, you probably know. Um, And then also she helps, uh, helps people build it on their own, right? Learn how to, has a coaching program to help people do their own events. So, um, I know we've talked about this quite a bit. Um, can, we've had some people on the show talking about speaking lately. And so I want you, th- those of you listening right now, like don't leave because you've heard this before, because I think this is going to bring a new perspective on why events are important. But also I really want to talk to Barry about how she got her financial advisor and um, how it's led her to be able to build wealth and, and kind of some takes on that. So tell us, why don't you start with that story, Barry, just tell us about like when you got a financial advisor, why you got a financial advisor and how all that happened. Yeah, absolutely. I was one year out of college and someone, I still remember his name because I ended up working him f- with him for a long time. This man, Chuck Ray from Morgan Stanley came and gave a talk at a trade association meeting that I went to. And I so loved him and how he simplified the concept of putting money away now would create a massive nest egg for the future and that anybody could afford to do it. Like even if you were right out of school, you could afford to start doing it now and why you should. And so I ended up having a private meeting with him. I started investing with him on a small scale. And, you know, over the years I went from, you know, being a 22 year old to being a 30 something um, who was making a lot more money and then starting my own business was making even more money. And because of that one talk, I was with Chuck until he retired. I still invest with the company, you know, his successor that took over for him. But I'm so grateful to him because he really opened my eyes to wait, you can do that. Well, wait a minute, I could do that. And then I will do that. I must do that. I have to do that. And I'm so grateful to him. If I hadn't heard that talk, it would have been years before that would have found its way to me and I would have started investing. And when I look at the portfolio I have today, it's largely in part due to that little talk that Chuck Ray gave like in 1992. 
mean, wow. yeah, that's a long time ago. That's pretty impressive for him too, because I would think Morgan Stanley, like they wouldn't be going after college students. Um, and to be, uh, and maybe he was just starting, I don't know, but, um, I mean, most people are going for the high net worth, especially in Morgan Stanley world. Well, you know world. what's funny? I, th- I have to clarify this because I yeah. think it's really interesting for your audience is that he wasn't going after college students. I just mm-hmm. happened to be in that room and there were people who were a lot older than I was that were there. But for me, I was like, I've got to start this today. You know, and he was talking to up and comers. But, you know, I think the the takeaway for your audience is, you know, where do you start with people and what could that grow into? Now, that's a long-term play, right? I'm sure there are much more lucrative accounts that Chuck had yeah. than Barry Baumgartner. Um, but you know, where are you starting and how are you cultivating trust and education so that people say yes? We often talk about this in enrollment world, not just say yes to you, but say yes to themselves. Like I could do that. Like, wait a minute, I could do that. Even I could do that. And I think that, you know, whether your business is high net worth individuals, and this is something you do as like a side hustle to help people who are up and coming, or whether you look at the idea of cultivating for the long term, I really think people need it. And especially women need it. I think more often than not, men t- tend to be, I hate to be gender specific, but I really think it's true. Men tend to be a little bit more focused and even groomed for that by their parents to be more focused on that than women are. I think that's slowly changing, but I still think it's true. Yeah, definitely. It's still definitely true. Um, and so what's interesting too, and I think this is a really good takeaway, is that what you remember from that first talk is that I can do this and I need to start now. And mm-hmm. so one of the things I talk about a lot, and I think knowing your background in sales, I know you agree with this, but I'm always thinking about what are the beliefs they need to have in order to act now. And when I'm telling my my ladies, whether you know my advisors, when they're doing talks, I said, do not educate motivate because what they're taught typically when they're doing a talk, it's all about, Oh, let me tell you about the market and here's what's happening. And they're showing charts and stuff, especially the men, but even the women, because you have this pre-approved material, here's a pre-approved talk. And then you go and deliver it. You're not telling a lot of stories. You're not building any beliefs. And then they're like, okay, the people who are ready, already looking for someone, sure. They'll move forward. But the people who are not there, you're not necessarily shifting their beliefs to say, start now. So what did really he do does that- begin with motivation, right? I mean, if yeah. I'm motivated, motivated to do it, then I'll take the education. But I find it's funny that you say this. One of the things I love so much about Chuck and ever since then I've looked for in a financial advisor is someone who can break it down and simplify it. I don't need the charts. I don't need to understand the market. That's what I'm paying you to do. I mean, you know, I need to probably understand the basics, but the nitty gritty, I I get lost in that a lot. I don't want to hear that. Like my eyes start to glaze over on that. And when we're investing in anything, we're investing based on an outcome. Like what motivates us is the outcome. So staying focused on the outcome and then simplifying what the steps are in order to get that outcome is so much more important than giving people a deep dive on things that they don't need to be that good at because they have you. Like that's the whole key. They don't need to know it because they have you. (laughs) You know, At least that's the way I look at it. I need to know, like, and trust you. I need to believe in your authority and credibility. I need to believe you're going to do the things you say you're going to do, but don't actually want to become an expert in it. I want you to be the expert in it. Absolutely. So now you're at a point, you told me before we started recording that you have several advisors and obviously you've kind of amassed quite a bit. Um, And so I'm just, I want to jump into the psychology of that. Like, why do you have so many different advisors? And then if let's just say there's this incredible woman who's the most amazing advisor on the planet, 
Like, how would she win your business? Because you're willing to diversify among advisors. You're willing to actually like not just put all of your nest egg in one place or one firm or whatever. So how, what is the value proposition? Like, how would that, I think even the attraction model, and then what could get someone like you to even consider working with a woman? Because I want to build the case that women are better at it, that women, even having one woman on your team, even if there are five others, like I want a woman to be part of this because I believe they're better listeners. I believe that they really will think of the outcome, not just of the performance, that there, there's a, a way for them to really drive behavior, not just to say, okay, I'm going to do this for you, but also want you to be involved, but not necessarily just talk down at you or tell you here are the numbers, but have a partnership. So I'm going to build a case for that, but how can, you know, from the perspective of the women listening and also to help me with my book, my upcoming book, like what do, like, tell me what's in your heads that could win you over for, to get a woman advisor on your team? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I mean, you know, we will hit 10 million this year, which is crazy. When I think of the fact that I started this business in 2004 out of an extra bedroom in my house, it's like a little part-time gig, you know, it turned into a full-time gig and then turned into a business. Um, And then today, you know, it's still kind of, you know, I have pinched me moments on that. But what's fascinating when you start getting that kind of wealth in your business and personally, I remember the first time we got a tax bill that was like larger than I ever thought I'd even make, right? I never thought I'd make that much money, much less pay that much in taxes. We weren't prepared for it. Like when we got that tax bill, we'd had a banner year. Then we got our taxes and we're like... What? You know, and how are we paying for this? It opened up a whole new level of reaching out and looking for advisors who could help us be smarter about how we were putting money away, how we were saving for taxes, how we were minimizing taxes, how we're being smart with the money we're making. And I think that's a niche, right? I mean, for for women business owners, I think it's especially important because you've got your business finances and your personal finances and how they work together. And it's complicated. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts to that. And I, I want to pay my fair share in taxes, but I also want to be intelligent about how I'm doing it. And there's so many things that you can do with your money. Like this is about putting your money to work for you. And for me, for the causes I believe in, like that was a big motivator for me too. Is I, Now that I feel like when you do well, you can do good. For me, a big piece of this was I'm doing well. I now want to do some good with my money. Mm. What's the best way to do that? And, you know, it is amazing how many loopholes there are and how many opportunities there are that you just cannot possibly as a normal human being who's not a tax specialist or a financial specialist, how you're going to navigate figuring that out. You're not, you could spend hours and hours and hours. And when you start to think of how much money you can make, whether you work for someone or work for yourself, by putting that time and attention on your zone of genius, the thing that you do brilliantly versus trying to navigate something that you're not good at, you don't want to get good at, that's when you start going, I need a financial advisor or two or three to help Mm -hmm. me get multiple opinions on how I can be as smart as possible with the money I'm making. Because here's the thing, we work so hard to make money, whether again, we work for someone or we work for ourselves, we work so hard to make money, but then how are we keeping the money? How are we growing the money so that it's not just about having to make more? Your money could be making money for you while you sleep. That's sexy. That's where the starts to get really fun. (laughs) I love that. And so tell me more about the advisors. Like, why do you have, I mean, it sounds like you wanted multiple opinions. You wanted to, because you're an intelligent person, right? And so if I could summarize or somewhat butcher your, the summarization um, (laughs) would be that you're like, okay, well, we're making good money. And I could totally um, just 
I guess, relate to this. That's the big word I'm looking for, but relate to this. It's like everything as a business owner is for the business and it's all about earning and it's all about earning and it's all about earning. And then similarly, like you're just running, like for a while, you're just running to get to seven figures. And then, you know, I'm not near the eight figure mark, but I will be someday, but it's like, you're running to get to those numbers because I don't know about you. I I do know you well enough to know that you're driven by impact. And we're like the more, like my book, more, make more money, help more people. So we're driven by that. But then at the same time, it's like, there's this like, Wah, wah. If you don't see that the amount of money is amassing as fast as your business can earn, right? So, like, you know, you have, you want multiple seven figures sitting there as well that you've been able to keep, not just to earn, right? Yes. So, I feel like there's this. There, there's this push for the revenue, but there's also like among business owners, at least there's this fear around sabotaging the business success. Cause you're like, well, I know if I put this much more money in Facebook ads or this much more money in my marketing, I'll be able to double triple versus if I just put it in the, the market want, want for like a 10%, <laughs> like it's growing so slowly. And like, we want that. So um, I think it's also like, I don't tell them a little about getting to the head of the entrepreneur and like what appealed to you and, um, and then also just, you know, a little bit about the different advisors, like, did they have different roles? Did you feel like you just needed multiple opinions so that you can make a decision and understand your choices? Yeah. I, I think for me, I started thinking, I, I started being aware through masterminds that I'm in that, oh, there are different types of advisors and consultants and people who specialize in different areas. So, you know, an interesting takeaway from that is I think when you reach, I think this is probably true for anyone, but certainly true for people who are successful. You're not Googling a financial advisor. You're not like, I think I'm going to Google someone to help me manage my money. You're saying to people that you know, like, and trust, who do you know, like, and trust? Who should I know that I don't know that I should be talking to? And we or or you see them speak, right? Or you see them them speak speak because they have immediate authority. Yeah. Yes. So it's either an credible authority that I know, like, and trust because I've seen them speak on a topic. I've been wowed by the content and immediately said, I need to know more about you. And one of our advisors, we did find that way, not just Chuck, mm-hmm. but someone else that we work yeah. with. And the other is you start being awakened to by people, you know, oh, that's an interesting strategy. How'd you hear about that? Oh, my advisor, you should talk to them. They're amazing. What do you love about them? They do this, this, and this. So what I think is an interesting takeaway from that, we often talk about in our industry, the riches are in the niches. And I think there's something too, not just being a financial advisor, but kind of building a brand around your zone of genius, the thing you're really good at. Like there are probably things that you're especially good at. It might be nurture, it might be a certain tax strategy or a certain growth strategy, but rather than just this nebulous financial advisor, which is a pretty vast category, I think what's really interesting, especially for high net worth individuals, most of them do have more than one and they're looking for people who are specialists in certain areas. So for example, we recently started talking to someone who really focuses on real estate. I was awakened to the idea through a talk through that someone gave that I could invest in real estate or I could invest with someone who invests in real estate. I'm like, I actually don't want to be the one. I've owned real estate before. It's a nightmare to manage. I actually got rid of it because I didn't want the nightmare, even though it was lucrative. I'm like, oh, much better idea. I'll, I know like and trust you. This is your zone of genius. I'll invest with you. You take care of all of that and pay me the dividend. Fantastic. Everybody wins. So I think, think it's interesting. 
Yeah. 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 Awesome. Awesome. Let's talk a little about, um, and let's just like keep the hat on of the entrepreneur, like successful female entrepreneur, but like talk a little about the objections. Cause I know you teach that. And I saw you in front of the room teaching these objections. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the type of sales, uh, strategies that are taught in the industry are, are horrible. It's just like, it's, it's embarrassing to me, even though I don't represent the industry of like what's being taught. And typically the way they're selling or being taught to sell is really about, let me tell you about my company. Then let me tell you about me. Um, then they'll educate you about the market or why you are, you're screwed. Cause you don't, you didn't start saving or you better hurry up. Then it's a little bit of goal setting. And mm-hmm. then it's like, here, here's the next step. Let me try to get someone closed and it might be filling out paperwork, rolling over 401k or like the foot in the door approach. Now that's not everything. But when I typically say that process, most of the advisors are, you know, nodding and like, yeah, 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 that's what I was taught, which, you know, I know coming from our background with like digital marketing and speaking from the stage, like it's more about figuring out like, well, what do they really want and what's holding them back or what, what are their big challenges and what is it that they, their, their vision is. Um, but then when it comes to the, you know, the objections around it, like there's really very little sales techniques taught in the industry around handling objections. So chime in about the sales process in general, if you got, if you got something and then just like, how do they deal with these objections? Because it seems like what happens, because I was a financial advisor, by the time you get to the end and someone's not on the same page, it almost feels like it's too late. And now you're convincing yeah. and you never yes. want to be convincing. So yeah, no, tell me about that. No, this is true. I mean, I think, you know, we talked about the no like and trust factor. I think that matters a lot, but I think that starts with seeing yourself as a coach to this person, a consultant, like you're the financial coach you're the financial consultant. You're helping them see things in a different way. Like, wait a minute, I could do that. Wait a minute. I will do that. I must do that. I'm crazy not to do that. So you're awakening. This goes back to the motivation piece, awakening something in them that they didn't even know was possible. And now all of a sudden seems possible because of you. So opportunity versus fear-based marketing and selling, in my opinion, especially for women works better. We have enough things to be scared about. We don't need one more person to make us scared to death. We need opportunity. We need a place to hope, not to be afraid. And so, you know, making it okay, I think is better. Then we often talk about sales as a service. And I really believe this to my core. Um, I've had to get really good at this as a business owner because literally I quit the Girl Scouts because I didn't want to sell cookies. Like I I was that person story. That's exactly me. I love the little outfits. I love that. I'm not selling cookies. Like it's a hard no at the selling cookies thing. But if someone had told me, Barry, it's not that hard. You just have to say, would you like to try a thin mint? Like I'm a huge fan of thin mints. If it had just been like, you just have to get them to try a thin mint. And then they'd be like, I love a thin mint. I'm like, I thought you would. Would you like one box or two? That I could have done. But the thought of knocking on doors, like, do you want cookies? Would you buy my cookies? was so hard. And that's really what I mean by sales as a service is you're trying to give them a taste of something. Let them taste something. Like, don't you like that? Isn't that amazing? I thought you would like that because you know who your right fit client is, the person that you know you're meant to work with. Get in their head. Don't look at it through your lens. Sales as a service isn't about all about you. It's the opposite. It's all about them. What would motivate them? What would excite them? What would give them a taste of something they didn't know they could do that would awaken and opportunity and motivation. Now you've built like and trust and you can say... 
This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Tell me more about where you are. Like, I think all sales starts with a natural curiosity, which is to learn more about the person. And I personally believe that all objections come down to five things. And I've been testing this for 18 years in my business. And we are in a, a business model where sales is a huge piece of what we do. And so over 18 years, I've really cultivated this model. And what I've learned over time is that the five objections are time. I don't have time to do it. Money. I can't afford to do it spouse. I'm not going to be able to get my spouse on board for this fear. I'm afraid to do it. And uh, shame and self-doubt. I'm ashamed to admit they don't know how to do it or I've done it before and it didn't work. So I have self-doubt because I made a bad decision or I made a mistake. And they really work in that hierarchical order, meaning it's the easiest to talk about time. Wish I could. I just don't have the time. A little bit harder to talk about money, right? If I'm being really honest, I can't afford to do this. A little bit harder to talk about spouse. If I'm being really honest, he won't let me. And this does tend to be more of a female thing. Let's just be honest here. More likely for a woman to say, he won't let me do it than for a man to say, she won't let me do it. And you're, you're cupping out there, by the way, just between me and you, or they are to you if it's your, if it's your client saying that. Um, and then fear, like that's a, that's a deeper one. We're plumbing the depths on that. Like if I'm being really honest, I'm afraid to invest because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if it'll work. I'm afraid I'll lose my money. I'm afraid I'll give this to you and you'll take it and you'll do something bad with it. I've heard scary stories, that kind of thing. Um, fear also kind of comes into a little bit of no one in my family has ever done this before. So why would it work for me? Like you may have generational barriers woven into that. And then shame and self-doubt is that the lowest, like that is at the bottom. That's the one they're least likely to talk about, but is most likely to be controlling their decision. And so if you know that and you go into it as a coach or a consultant, like approach it from the perspective of, you know, tell me a little bit more about why you have invested before or, you know, what you have invested in before, what has worked, what hasn't. Like it's all about the curiosity and building that relationship with them. And if you're generally curious, like I am, those are easy questions to be asking. And it really comes down to three simple words, Robin. Like this is true of all sales. I really believe this. Whatever they answer in that question, when you pose a question, whatever they answer, say, that's interesting. Tell me more. Tell me more. Don't assume that you know why they're afraid or why their spouse won't let them. When they're like, my spouse won't let me. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Right? Like you want to get to the next layer and then the next layer and the next layer that's really controlling their decision. And I find when you do that, if we're coming at it from a human perspective of nurture, not from a sales perspective of manipulation, you'll feel more relaxed and comfortable about it and they'll feel more relaxed and comfortable about it. Yeah. I love the curiosity thing because I feel like it, it is very much aligned with women. You know, it's like, yes. we are a little bit nosier and I are. always, I joke about that, you know, in my talks and stuff and my events, because I'm like, embrace that. Like, I want you to be nosy. I want you to be curious. I want you to really find out like, what, what is it? And, you know, some of our sales questions, like what made you curious to invest the time and work with us today? It's like, we use the word curiosity too, because it's a lot softer than, you know, are you interested or what made you 
interested to, to come here. And for a woman, like when there's typically, if you're trying to work with women or you want to work with women, there's, there is more fear typically yeah. right around money. And, and we're trying to change that. But, and then if they're feeling like attacked or feeling judged, then there is no, no like and trust factor. Right. And so if you're yes. truly there to serve, and I think that's the distinction Barry that you're making is like, don't be a financial advisor, be a financial coach or financial consultant. Like you can call yourself a wealth advisor, but embrace your, your natural, uh, like woman qualities and tendencies to just want to truly understand a person and where they're coming from, what their challenges are, what their concerns are, what their fears are, what they want without the judgment. And then genuinely just figure out, is there a fit? Is there a match? Yeah. And know that nine times out of 10, the reason they're telling you no is not the real reason. There is a reason behind that reason that they don't want to disclose because they're afraid they'll be judged. They're afraid to admit it. It may even be scary for them to talk about it out loud. They may have never acknowledged it out loud ever. And you may be the first person to kind of plumb those depths with them. That's a sacred space to be in, you know, to help somebody, you know, give voice to a fear that they have that in their most private moments, it's like, I don't think I'm good with money. I'm afraid that um, I'll lose money. I'm afraid that no one in my family's ever made money before. So why would it be different for me? Uncle Joe lost all of his money. And the thing that everyone in our family talks about is keep your money in your mattress. Because remember that time, the Uncle Joe, you know, like that, that, that controls people for mm -hmm. sure. And getting to those stories is hard. They're not going to immediately come out and be like, well, if I'm being really honest, I'm just really nervous and scared because they're not going to say that. They're going to be like, I wish I could, Rob. It's just not a good time for me. I really wish I could, but I talked to my husband. He said, it's not a good time for us. And if you walk away with the, just that pat answer, you're doing yourself a disservice, but more importantly, you're doing them a disservice because you're not helping them to really get to the problem behind the problem that you can help them solve. And I think of this this way, why let them be controlled by you know their spouse, their fear, their shame, their self-doubt, by time, by their, their perception that they don't have enough money, when you could free them from all of that because you know better because you do this every day. Like mm -hmm. that's the way to be coming at it from a position of strength as a coach, as a consultant, as someone who has a willingness and a desire to serve versus someone selling them. Right, which Nobody again wants like to be sold which is again, like very aligned with you as a woman already. Like, let's just embrace those, forget everything they taught you in the industry. Like, let's just do it in a way that's going to serve someone at the highest level. And I was thinking about that, what you were just saying in regards to like the, the lowest point, as far as the objections is like the fear, the shame, the doubt. And the, if you think of it as like, almost like a cliff, like the more successful someone is, the higher they've climbed, the further it is to fall. Right. And yes. especially I think women like, we don't want to be perceived as like, if you see me as successful and then we, we think vulnerability is weakness when Barry, you and I are know based on being on the stage, like the more vulnerable, vulnerable you are, the more you re, you're relatable, the more you actually connect, the better you sell all the things. But I remember when I was a financial advisor, like I didn't want anyone to know any of my vulnerabilities. Like I was so scared to share that. And I think a lot of women, business owners, successful women, executives, like they're so they've gotten themselves 
themselves so high. They got to kind of play the part that I'm successful and God forbid they have to tell you that actually I'm really scared and I'm not doing all these things. And I, it looks like I'm doing all the right things when it comes to my money, but deep down, like, you know, let me tell you the truth is I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out that I'll never have enough money. And you have to earn the right to get that information without any judgment, without giving them a safe space, as Lisa Nichols would say, right. The safe yeah. space so that people like these, their women or even men are just willing to tell you the truth because everyone's wearing these layers and layers and masks and masks. And I do think the more successful, it's like, Oh, we got to put on a new mask. We got to put on a new layer because I got to uphold that standing and that status. And that's why it's so important to like, come to the table with, with a system that's really going to allow them to feel safe. And I, I want to go back a, a step to what you said about opportunity versus fear-based, but giving them this feeling of support and love, regardless of what they choose, but not, I'm not going to use a, the P word, but not being a wuss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Because like what I think happens is women tend to overcompensate and then they don't want to handle objections. They don't want to be pushy. They don't want to be salesy. They don't want to be manipulative. So instead they just let let their prospects off the hook and don't drive fast action because they're like, Oh God forbid, I'm going to be pushy. It's not well, about being and pushy. Can I just add to that? Yeah, I think please. this is a really critical piece of it is that if you really believe that your purpose on this planet is to help people navigate their finances and to grow their personal wealth, then who are you to not show up in a way that allows them to embrace doing that? Like you've actually done them a huge disservice if they walk away and chances are, based on that conversation, they're not going to go seek out someone new. They're like, clearly this doesn't work. I'm not meant to be investing. So they don't invest. Let's say that because you didn't show up differently, they end up not investing for that year or multiple years. What is the cost of that over time? The opportunity cost of that over time? So you actually have a bit of a duty an obligation to help yeah. them navigate opening up around their finances, figuring out their finances, plotting out a path to personal wealth. And if you can be the conduit to that, then everybody wins, right? So it's like coming at it from this place of authority and certainty about your role in this world and your role in their world to help them do something incredibly important. Like what could be more important than understanding and navigating your personal and or business finances? And I think a really important question to ask at the outset is, are you single or are you married? And if they say they're married, a big question would be, do you jointly own the finances or who controls the finances in your house? Like who's ultimately in charge of making these decisions? Because if it's the spouse, you have a whole different conversation. Like if they're not doing anything with their personal finances, everything is being controlled by the spouse. That's a really different conversation than we both do it jointly. Or actually I'm in charge of them. I do all of it, right? Like it's important to know who you're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, um, that's so awesome. We're so aligned with this. Um, we, I'll, I'll give this away. Uh, hopefully this is the right link, but if you guys go to femalefinancialadvisors.com forward slash cheat sheet, um, we have something called the ideal client capture cheat sheet. And this, the first question, as I said, is what made you curious to invest the time and chat with me today? And there's a lot of reasons we use those words and the assumptions there, like that this is an investment, not, not the investment, like I'm giving you money the investment of time, the investment that like, I'm actually putting attention here. And then the second question is assuming we're to work together in some capacity, 
are you the decision maker? And part of the reason behind that is one to find out, right? Is there someone else that's, we're going to completely sabotage everything we're about to do in the next hour. Um, but then two, it's to empower them. So if it's a woman and like, they say, oh, well, we make decisions together, but I really have my own stuff. And it's like finding out like, well, can you make this decision, set any expectation? And if not, let's bring your partner on board. But if so, like, wow, high five, like you're going to be able to make this decision today <laughs> on your own without having to consult somebody else. Like that's amazing. They feel empowered. And now, you know, by the end of the conversation, you can move them to the next step. So um, we'll give you that. Um, I'll make sure that link works. Femalefinancialadvisors.com forward slash cheat sheet. Um, awesome. I just want to touch on one more thing because I know I'm going a little long, but give me one more thing around just like opportunity versus fear-based marketing. Like what's one thing they can do? Because we know that pain drives people to take action, but it's not about like, let me rub salt in the wound. We're just understanding what their challenges are, but how can they flip the switch and really like focus on the opportunity in their marketing and sales so that it does inspire women to want to work with them as opposed to scaring them into working with them? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, a lot of times you can lead with a fear stat and then I call it a pattern interrupt to flip it around to the opportunity. Example of that would be like, you might be hearing that in a recession, it's the worst time to invest, but actually it's the best time. You know, or you may have heard that, um, you know, the stock market is um, in a free fall right now. And so everyone's losing money. But the reality is there's a huge opportunity in that market right now. So, you know, you might be able to use a stat that gets their attention, but also that you can debunk like something that you know is actively out there that you know is in your right fit client's thought process. And that's the fear that they have, but you're going to turn it into the real opportunity that's in front of them. You might feel like you're totally screwed when it comes to your money, but if you work with me... You'll be able to reach all your goals, you know, something like that. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Awesome. No, well, I think you, you. the opportunity is something ideally that they didn't even know was there. So I'd really be looking for those little hidden nuggets or people like, what? It's the lean in moment, right? So mm-hmm. you've given them something that's like, oh, really? That's interesting. Tell me more. Like you want them to also say to you, tell me more. Your tactic for overcoming the objective is tell me more. Your tactic for getting them to lean in is you want to give them an opportunity that has to get really tell me more about that. Because remember what I said at the beginning, like you can do that. Interesting. Tell me more. And then, oh, well then I could do that. Well, wait a minute. Not only I could do that, I will do that. And then the conduit is they've kind of started to decide in their mind, not only they can, but they will. You're the fastest path to actually getting them to that opportunity. It just makes it so much easier. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much. This has been awesome. So I know we didn't talk to, I mean, you were so so generous with just giving kind of your perspective on things, but um, if you're looking to run events, uh, whether you want someone's help running the events or you want to learn how to do it on your own, Barry is the best that I know that does that. I mean, she's been in the back of the room for what decades, right? Decades. Yeah, it's 18 years. I know it's crazy. I can't even believe that myself. You were probably at some of the events that Tony Robbins that I went to and we were in passing and I didn't know, right. You're probably running the back of the room. Cause I was at these, you know, huge Tony Robbins events or um, wealth mastery events and um, what's business mastery events, all those business things. Mastery, yeah. um, so where's the best place to find you? 
Yeah. The easiest thing is sagehub.com. Sage is our company, strategic advice for growing events. So S-A-G-E hub, H-U-B.com, sagehub.com. And we do run events on how to develop offers, how to overcome objections and how to use events to get people into strategy sessions or more importantly, one-to-many selling because one-to-one is a little harder than one-to-many. So for those of you who are ready for that, that's really our specialty, you know, but the reality is for all of you, I just, I want you less to worry about finding me than to think about how having a signature talk about your zone of genius could do the very same thing for your audience that did for me when I was a 22-year-old and open people up to what is possible with their personal wealth and finance. Like nothing could be more important to that, especially for women. So yes, if you haven't done it, now's the time to do it. It's never been easier than it is now too, because all you need is a computer and a Zoom account, right? So Mm -hmm. it is so easy. You don't need someone to invite you to speak on their stage. You can create your own as Robin knows. So it's pretty yeah. amazing. And just to add to that, like just, I know we're ending, but I just want to add this because it's, it's, it's even back when I started in 2007 as a financial advisor, I started doing talks and that was how I got to my first hundred thousand dollars. And my talks were, I created something called money parenting, which is how to raise financially responsible kids by leading by example. But I would go into these talks at preschools, you know, to the parents, right. Or I'd go to a JCC, a Jewish community center, I'd go to a church or something like that. And I do these talks and there'd be seven or 12 in the audience. And I knew that even when I was shitty at actually doing talks that at a minimum, if I did three talks, I would get at least one client and make a minimum of $5,000. So my rule of thumb was like three talks. And that was the beginning. And then it got better and better. And I knew I'd make five grand every time I did a talk. And so it's crazy to me. And I'm going to focus a lot with my femmes on this, the women in my program is like, it's crazy to me how rarely advisors speak sometimes. And like that is the best way to get an instant authority and to way. get known and to get appointments. So definitely yeah, I know and, we didn't that kind of talk, it, but. you can drive them to a one-to-one strategy session or drive them to one-to-many, um, which is my specialty. But one thing I meant to say earlier, and I want you to think about this along the same lines is today's non-buyers, tomorrow's buyer. So you might've given those talks and only had one mm-hmm. buyer and what might've happened. And you may not have even known because you might not have tracked it is that three years later, somebody would have been like, where I heard that Robin Crane. I really loved her. Where is she Google? And now they call you. Right. Mm -hmm. So some of this is just awareness and credibility, or it might not be them. It might be them saying to their friend, Oh yeah, you're looking for someone to help. Yeah. I just heard this woman, Robin Crane speak. She's amazing. You ought to look for her. You know, so speaking awesome. is really one of the fastest paths to creating no like and trust and authority and credibility in your space. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. So go to if you want Barry's help, go to Sage Hub. Yes. Dot com. Okay. Sage Hub. S A G E. My two and a half year old, her name is Sage, and she knows how to spell her name. And she goes, S A G E, S A G E. So if she <laughs> can do it, you can do it. Go to sagehub.com. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next time on Growing Your Financial Business the Woman's Way. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.